Well, good morning. I feel like you're all sitting a long way back today. The heater's not on. We're not clustered around the vents. Let's, uh, let's pray, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you today as we, as we come to the marriage of your son to his bride, the church. We thank you that you've been planning this moment since the beginning of the world. And even now, everything drives towards that. We thank you that you've included us in your plans. You've included us in your purposes. We don't deserve it. And we're so grateful to you that you have. We ask this morning that you would set our eyes on Jesus, set our eyes on that day to come, that we would live now prepared and in hope. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Bible begins and ends the same way. It begins and ends with a marriage. Now, over the last uh, two months, the better part of two and a bit months now, we've been thinking and exploring what the Bible has to say about love, sex and marriage, primarily focused on the first of those marriages. What is it that the creation, that the pattern that God made at the beginning, teaches us about everything, about our own lives, our own relationships, when things go right and when things go wrong? Now, let me give you a really quick recap of everything we've covered so far, just by way of spurring those creative juices. Week one was creation. We looked at the pattern. God made it, and God made it good. And everything good that has flowed out from then comes out of that pattern. Week two, we looked at marriage given by God as a little picture of union between Jesus and the church, what we're going to talk about today. And given by God such that husbands will be like Jesus and wives will be like the church. Week three, we talked about sex, the goodness of it, the hardships of it, the power of it to unite two into one. Week four, we considered singleness. And you remember how we said that in the age we live in, singleness is good. It allows us freedom to serve God and His kingdom. We heard that challenge, whatever your circumstances, live to the glory of God. Week five was dating, and perhaps one of the most underrated of our sermons, how important to get it right, the wisdom in that choice of honouring God in the process. Week six, ideology, how are we supposed to think in ways that are different to our world, as we want to have our minds transformed by God. Week seven, LGBTQI+, and we once again remembered how the pattern that God created teaches us what we ought to know and do now. God hasn't changed and His ways haven't changed either. We saw the consequences of a world under sin. Last week when things go wrong, and we heard that powerful message of God's vision for marriage, it's a real union, so we must fight for it. And then today, Jesus' marriage. Now here's what I want to do. If you've got one of the handouts, you've got this outline. Firstly, I want to show you that human marriage actually is about God. It's really all about God, not about us. I then want to show you that through the Bible. We're going to consider the Old Testament and the New Testament before finally drawing some lessons for us all, not just for married people, but for us all out of it. All right, so number one, human marriage is really about God. Now, Adam, I feel loud. I don't know if I am slightly. I'm getting echo of myself. Um, I don't mind hearing myself, but, you know, it may be slightly too loud. Here we go. Uh, human marriage is really all about God. I want you to cast your mind back, 
We're winding way, 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 way back. In fact, we're winding all the way back to a, a Sunday, I don't know, let's, let's say Sunday afternoon, 3 or so p.m., where the only thing that exists is God. It's just God. That's it. There's, there's nothing else. And in a moment, because of who He is and because of who He wants to be, He speaks. And He says... Let there be. And creation appears. Light, darkness, earth, water, sky, four animals, people. Everything from the biggest to the smallest. In that moment, God, as He speaks, brings it into being. The, 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 the grandest of the fjords in Norway, the smallest snail, the, the iridescence on a drop of water falling down a leaf as a sloth crawls by extremely slowly, the race to see who will get to the floor first. Right? The, the, the sublime and the majestic. Do you know how many stars there are in our galaxy? I don't, no one's counted them. But they estimate that there's roughly a trillion. Okay, that's a thousand billion, that's a million million stars in our galaxy. Do you know how many galaxies there are in the universe? They estimate that there's a trillion galaxies. So how many stars are in the universe? It's a trillion trillion. It's, it's one times ten to the power of 24, 25-ish, depending on your scientific notation, right? That's a lot. <laughs> Do you know how many atoms there are? in one kilogram of iron? More. God made them both. The, 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 the nuclear powers of attraction, quantum physics, God said, let it be. And in one marvellous moment, it all began. And at the pinnacle at the very climax of that creation, at the moment where it's all at its grandest, God made a marriage. Isn't that strange? If you remember, come back to Genesis chapter 1. It's an easy one to look up. We're going to look up a bunch of Bible passages today, so we might as well look this one up. Come back to Genesis chapter 1. We started here, so we'll, we'll, we'll start the end here as well. And God said, Genesis 1 and verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. Right in chapter 2, as we get the account of creation again, slightly zoomed out a little bit, right, chapter 2 and verse 23, the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, this one will be called woman, for she was taken from man, and so a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. And God at that moment looks at his creation and says, this is very good. This is doing what I want it to do. A marriage. God didn't just create sexually dimorphic reproduction, a different man and a woman who together can have babies. He did that with all the other animals. But in Adam and Eve, there was something different. There's this union that forms, born out of the image of God. Did you notice that? In God's image, He created them, united. Why? Why a marriage at the pinnacle of creation? 
Well, actually, it's a, it's a, it's a little bit of a teaser trailer. It's the, it's the first note that tells you what key the rest of the symphony in. It's that little, little glimpse that if only you could see it right, it would help you understand the entire story. In, in hindsight, you look back, you know those movies where you look back and you go, oh, in the opening scene they told us the answer and we missed it. If we could only see it right, that's what we're seeing right here. Come with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, let's see, actually, I might have even have had some of these. Are we going forward on the, on the, the clicky thing? There we go, Genesis 1. Oh, look at that, I already had it on there. Let's catch up. We're going very slow, Adam. There we go, Ephesians, oh, I've got it, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 29. Again, we're, we're, doing, we're doing the short version, then we're going to go back and do the long version again. Keep your finger in Ephesians 5 when we're done with it. Ephesians 5 verse 29. Okay, no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. And then he quotes Genesis chapter 2. For this reason... A man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. The mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. It's in Genesis 2, the fact that they were man and woman, therefore the two leave and join. In Ephesians 5, it's Christ and the church, two different, distinct, but because of this, for this reason, they will be joined into one. The little teaser from Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 was really about that moment, about Jesus and the church. Our unions in marriage, our human unions that we do all the time, week in, week out, people get married, they're supposed to teach us something about something else. They're not the end in and of themselves. They're not the greatest good you could possibly have. They're a pointer, a shadow. Why? What's this marriage about? Well, actually, this is the point of everything. Come back to Ephesians 1. Right, just a couple of pages earlier, Ephesians chapter 1. Listen to what God had planned from the beginning. Ephesians 1 and verse 9, God made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure. Right, God told us what He wants. Verse 10, as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in Him. From the very beginning, from that 3.01pm on that first Thursday afternoon, when God first said, let there be, the plan that He had, the purpose for everything, was to unite it in Christ. The purpose was a marriage, to take His creation, I mean, this is mind-blowing, to take His creation and join it to Himself. Like a marriage, too distinct, too different, and yet joined into one a reality that is seen in the church itself. The very meaning of life, the, 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 the purpose of your existence. I don't know if you came to church today thinking about that one, right? Um, today I'm going to go to church and work out why on earth am I in this world? What's the point of my life? What's the, why do I exist at all? Is that you and I might display God's character as He unites us to Himself that we get to display God's kindness as He creates a people united to His Son. Now, can I just point out, this means that your existence isn't about you, my existence isn't about me, we don't like that very much, do we? It's so much easier to go through life believing that it is about me, 
that I call the shots, that I am the one who influences the thing, that I set the goal, that I set the end point, that I get to choose, thank you very much. The creation is not about us, but about God and about God's glory, about His character being revealed in this marriage of two becoming one. How far forward did we go? We should be there. All right. Sorry, technology is having fun today with us. Now, can I just point out, though, that even though existence isn't about us, how marvellous is it? How wonderful, how, how almost incredible that it happens through us. That the reason God began that whole creation and everything that's happening now and involves us. That we get to display God's character. Now, let me trace the story for you. Let me show you how it plays out in the Old Testament and in the New. The relationship of God with His people, the relationship that God has with us, began with promises. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds like a marriage. God went and found this wandering nomad, this nobody, a man called Abram, and made promises to him. He found him and said, I will be yours and you will be mine. All the way back in Genesis chapter 12, uh, if you're a fast Bible flicker, come with me, otherwise just listen and I'll read it. The Lord said to Abram, go out from, from your land, your relatives and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God picked a nomad and committed himself to him with these incredible promises, the these promises essentially form the basis of this marriage, this relationship, this covenant between God and his people, such that no matter what happens, and a lot of things happened, always they keep referring back to the promises. Generations later, I've got this one on the screen, in Deuteronomy 7, it's summarised this way for us, as talking about Israel now. You are a holy people belonging to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be His own possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord had His heart set on you and chose you, not because you were more numerous than all people, for you are the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath He swore to your ancestors. And because of that, He brought you out with a strong hand and redeemed you from the place of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. You see, you remember God's plan was to be united, right? That's God's plan, to be united with His people. And it was coming to fruition. He chose one, He made promises to him, He brought him into this land, made him into a great nation, rescued him when things were troubled. He loved these people, He cherished these people. It's described for us in Ezekiel 16, like this. Listen to this description, I mean, it's just a wonderful picture of the relationship of God with His people. God speaking to Israel, I passed by you and saw you thrashing in your blood. I said to you as you lay in your blood, live! Yes, I said to you as you lay in your blood, live! I made you thrive like plants of the field. You grew up and matured and became very beautiful. Your breasts were formed, your hair grew, but you were stark naked. Then I passed by you and saw you when you were indeed at the age for love. 
So I spread the edge of my garment over you, covered your nakedness. I pledged myself to you, entered into a covenant with you. This is the declaration of the Lord and you became mine. I washed you with water, rinsed off your blood, anointed you with oil. I clothed you in embroidered cloth and provided you with fine leather sandals. I also wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with jewellery, putting bracelets on your wrists and a necklace around your neck. I put a ring in your nose, earrings on your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. So you were adorned with gold and silver and your clothing was made of fine linen, silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour, honey and oil. You became extremely beautiful and attained royalty. Your fame spread among the nations because of your beauty. For it was perfect through my splendor, which I bestowed on you. This is the declaration of the Lord. Are we there? As, as we journey through the Old Testament, we've got this question, is this... Is this the wedding? Is this, this what God wanted all along? The display of His splendor before the world as He takes this waif and makes her His own, brings her to beauty and to royalty. God choosing a people and saving her and beautifying her and doing away with her sin. And Well, it wasn't quite that good, was it? Because as the story unfolds, what did Israel do? Were God's people truly united to God? Were they glorious and splendorous? And well, Actually, the very next verse in Ezekiel brings us crashing back to the reality of what happened. You trusted in your beauty and acted like a prostitute because of your fame. You lavished your sexual favours on everyone who passed by. Your beauty became His. And you can read the rest of that chapter if you want to hear an incredibly sordid story. The Old Testament ends with, well, the union not quite happening, does it? God found a people, God promised to a people, God saved a people and bestowed beauty on the people, but they turned their backs on Him, distant. The union wasn't a real union, it wasn't transformation from the heart. Something different was needed, something new, a true union, a permanent bond. But God didn't give up, did He? The story doesn't end there with God saying, Ah, oh, well, Israel, you're hopeless. You're rubbish. I'm just going to leave. Whatever creation, you can just do your thing. No. Remember, God, remember last week we saw God's heart for marriage. God fights for it. And so we come into the New Testament and we see Jesus appear on scene and Jesus has some really amazing things to say. Listen to what He says in Mark chapter 2. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. People came and asked him, why do John's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples fast? Why don't your disciples fast? And Jesus said this, the wedding guests cannot fast while the groom is with them, can they? As long as they have the groom with them, they cannot fast. Now, time's going to come for, for fasting, the groom's going to get taken away. Jesus comes on the scene and says, the groom is here. The groom has arrived. Something different is happening. The marriage between God and His people that He's looking for is occurring now in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, as Ephesians 5 points out for us, it happens at the cross as Jesus dies, washes His bride clean. It happens in His resurrection as He pours out new life onto His people. 
It happens in His ascension. As the Spirit comes and truly unites God's people to God. And it will happen, it's the weird timing of the Bible, isn't it? It has all happened, but it will happen in Revelation 19, as we read, with the coming of the Lord Jesus. Come back to Revelation 19, the last passage we'll look up for now. Come with me to Revelation 19. And the whole story, all of this journey of finding a people to be His own, to display His character to the world, beginning with that marriage in Genesis 1, all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the New as Jesus arrived, we hit Revelation 19 and this is the moment that it's all waiting for. Revelation 19 verse 6, I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters, like the rumbling of loud thunder. Hallelujah! Because our Lord God the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad, rejoice and give Him glory because the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear bright and pure. For the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. And the angel says to, God, to John, write down, blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. Blessed are those. God's purpose is finally fulfilled in that moment as Jesus returns and finds His bride ready. Not the guests, those who are invited to the marriage here, aren't the the party, the hangers-on, these are those who participate. You and I, God and humanity finally united, begun in the garden, culminating in Jesus' return. Now there's the picture, right? That's, that's the biblical marriage to marriage. There's kind of the journey that we go through to get from that little teaser in Genesis 1 of the wedding to come to the very end when it happens. What can we learn from it? I want to draw out just two lessons for us today, lessons for all of us about this marriage that we await. Be prepared and have hope. Be prepared. What's the meaning of your life? What did you get up this morning thinking to yourself, well, today's a day about... What are you going to get up tomorrow and think to yourself, today's a day about... What's your purpose? What are you trying to achieve? I think for most of us, that's not a question we ask very often, it's certainly not a question I ask myself very often, you, you get up each day and you do what's in front of you to do, right? And the kids are screaming, they're like, just go, do stuff, that, that's, that's what it is. What bride-to-be wakes up each morning and has that attitude? <laughs> the bride-to-be wakes up each morning thinking, alright, I've got a list of 115 things that I need to get ready for the wedding, which one am I going to tick off today? What preparation am I going to... How am I going to be... I've got to tee up the hair, the makeup, the, the bridesmaids, the bridesmaids' dresses, the flower girls. I've got to do the colour matching. I've got to pick the suit for the guy because let's be honest, he's not going to pick it. Hell no. I've got to make sure that the colour's all going to work for them. I suppose at some point I should actually find a guy to marry, but that's kind of beside <laughs> the point, right? I've got to... Mine's consumed with the wedding to come. I mean, the, the, the bride from Ephesians 5, the one who submits herself lovingly to the leadership of her husband, that's us, preparing ourselves now 
to be those who are cleansed by Jesus for good works. Did you notice that little description of the, 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 what we're dressed in in Revelation 19, verse 8? She was given fine linen to wear bright and pure. The linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. Our preparation begins now with the acts prepared by God beforehand for us to do. Cleansed by Jesus, yes. Saved by Jesus, yes. He's the one who proposed. He brought us into this relationship. And in that cleansing, we now live for Him. I, 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 I'm, I'm astonished, to be, to be honest with you, that we've made it this far in our series without any gratuitous wedding photos. I'm astonished. So here they are. Right? I, I couldn't bring myself to do it. So here's, here's, here's my beautiful bride, right? This was... Um, 16 years and six months ago, thereabouts. This was before we were married, so she was still Miss Edwina Hodgkinson at that point in time. And, uh, and, and just, you know, a, a vision of beauty. Uh, I'm told, because I wasn't there, that it took hours and hours and hours, right? And they, they brought in their own hairdresser to come and work on them and the makeup artists and the jewellery and the clothing and it just, the preparation so long... I mean, okay, she, I, I could just show you pictures of her all day. I mean, this, this is, you know, um, I feel it's only fair to show you at least one of me. Um, yeah, let's get it over with. Let's, we'll move on. Okay. <clears throat> I love the picture because it's so simple and so powerful. We understand immediately the bride preparing for the wedding. I, I don't have to spell it out for you. The obsession... The, the, the single-minded focus, the countless hours, the discipline, right? The invites have to go out and Edwina was adamant that we had to hand-make them. So we had to hand-make them, however, the hundred, whatever of them, they were like, that took hard work. We have to carve out time to do it because it's going to take us hours to go and visit this shop and that shop and whatever else it might be. And all of that is before we even start talking about the marriage. But that's just the wedding. That's the bit that doesn't matter. You can do a wedding on a shoestring budget, right? I mean, two witnesses walk into church after a service on Sunday, we'll do it. That's not a problem. The hours of marriage prep, of getting our thoughts right, of getting our relationship in sync, of, of, of starting to process now what will it be like to live with this one. Do you think of yourself as the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ? Waking up each day, looking to that day. How am I going to prepare today? I'll tell you what, here's the second lesson though. The second lesson is that we must have hope. Being engaged sucks. It's just the worst time of your life. You get all of the downsides of marriage, all of them, without a single one of the good bits. Like, it's just, it's stressful, you've got to, you, all sorts of arguments, you've got to deal with your in-laws and they're not even your in-laws yet. Yeah, and like, at the end of the day, you have to drop them off and go, you're right, like, it's just, it's full of hardship and stress and pressure. You keep taking hits, the difficulties. I'll tell you what, our life right now can often feel that way, can't it? in big things, in little things, so many hardships that we face. 
Can I remind you of the big picture of God's plan? He has been working for thousands and thousands and thousands of years so that that wedding will happen. So that the Lord Jesus, when he returns, will find his bride and God's purposes will be accomplished. Have hope that no matter what you're going through, no matter how hard things are, how challenging, how up, how down they are, he will not fail. You know, the, the drama of our wedding is a very interesting thing. I don't know if you've ever pondered it. I had an opportunity to think about it this week. We have the groom who arrives beforehand. And he's just standing there, right? There you go, see if you can pick me in that photo. He's just standing there. Actually, he's not just standing there, is he? Because he's arrived early to make sure everything is ready. He's checked with the preacher, good to preach. Pastor, good to marry us. We've got the rings. We've got the ring. We've got the rings, right? Good, we've got the rings. The guests are here, they're seated, they're not fighting. The groom has everything ready. All the bride has to do is get there. Actually, there's a little bit more than that, isn't there? Because what the bride has to do is get there beautiful. That's the drama of our wedding. That's why she's late, because she's been doing the hair and the makeup, and that, that the, her whole preparation is be gloriously beautiful for the moment the doors open. The groom has it all ready. Now, I'll tell you what, that drama plays itself out in our marriage to the Lord Jesus, because right now, where's he? Doing the hard yards. He's off getting it all ready. He's preparing it all. Have hope that He won't let us down. He will not fail. Set your eyes on Him. You see, we are called to be glad, to rejoice, to give God the glory because the marriage of the Lamb has come. Let's pray, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for, for our series and all the things that we've covered. We thank you today for this opportunity to wrap it up with our eyes set on Jesus, to see the culmination of your plan unfolding over thousands upon thousands of years, through the difficulties of Israel turning their back on you, through the challenges of having to pay for sinful men to bring us into relationship. Father, we thank you that you were single-minded in your purpose, and that you were gracious enough to include us into it. Father, please would you set our eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ, that that day would be one that consumes us, that we would live now in preparation, and that we would live now in complete hope, knowing that the Lord Jesus is ours, and we are His. Amen.